Well, last week we discussed what is the Christian life as a question, and we offered up four answers to that, four um, alliterative answers. The Christian life is a person, it's Jesus. The Christian life is a people, it's His church. The Christian life is a pursuit, it's the pursuit of Jesus. And the Christian life is a promise to always be with Jesus. So, clearly the Christian life is all about Jesus and all the things that is involved in that. Today I want to talk about six things to pursue in the Christian life that we'll be taking out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, one of what we call the pastoral epistles. These are occasional letters. Occasional means they were written for an occasion. And they were written specifically to, uh, in this particular instance, Timothy, giving him instructions on how to do and fulfill his ministry. Uh, And so we can never divorce that from our exegesis of these uh, passages, our understanding of what the book is first and foremost primarily to Timothy. But then we extract the truths of what Paul told to Timothy to live in our day and in our own Christian lives. And so it's important, though, that we always understand that. So in honor of God and the reading of His Word, we're going to read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. But you, O man of God... Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you, Timothy, keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man can, has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Let's pray. God, as we take a look at what you have said through Paul to Timothy, these are your instructions, Lord Jesus, to Timothy. And these are things written for our admonition as well. Help us to understand them right and help us to apply them correctly. And Lord, be in this message Because the worst thing that could happen today would be to have a message without the presence of the messenger. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to simply be dealing with verse 11. Timothy's been told a lot in his letter. He's been reminded of what he's going to see in his time and in his day, many things that happened uh, at the fall of, uh, of A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was taken. And so Paul has given him warning. 
But these things here on the back side of that, these are just instructionals on how he as a man of God should live his Christian life. These are things that he's supposed to pursue. And these are things in contrast to the things he's not supposed to pursue. Now we know those lists, those vice lists, we call them, you know, such things as uh, having a profane mouth or lying or cheating or stealing or uh, adulteries and, 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 and arguments and jealousies. And boy, you could go through and through and through with all of those bad things that we as human beings do. Okay? We don't have to pursue those because it seems as though they're sometimes on autopilot within us, aren't they? Just laying there like staph infection. From what I understand, we all have staph in us. I think that's true. And then for whatever reason, in a particular procedure, at a hospital, it can activate. And then, bam, the next thing you know, you've got complete necrotic tissue happening, or, or even sometimes you can die from it. And so, but we all have it in us. So we don't have to, we don't have to try to cultivate those things. We do have to try to cultivate the things that aren't natural for us. All of those things that only the Holy Spirit can do. So the Christian life is not a passive life. It's a war. It's a brutal, relentless fight to the very, very end. And yet, each day of struggle brings more strength. Because the battle is not yours, but, but the Lord's. So six things to pursue in the Christian life. Here's why we are supposed to pursue these things. I've read this to you before. I'm going to read it again. This is, again, out of our Behold Your God the way of majesty that we did this summer. This is a picture of sanctification These six things then are an outcropping or a a, a natural process from that. Listen to what Jeremy Walker wrote. The old has gone and is gone for good. The new has come and it just keeps on coming. Thank God for that. These transformations, step by step, sometimes slow and painful, especially where they are working against patterns of long-ingrained sin, are the result of that sinner being carried out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. That's what the war is. It's, It's you being transported and transformed out of the kingdom of darkness. You are no longer a part of that. You are being drawn out of it. And so that war is against the enemy's darkness that is a defeated enemy, but one in which God is is refining our faith and perfecting His strengths and His attributes in our life. And that's painful. I like, again, in that same book, what John Snyder wrote, forgiveness without sanctification is all that the hypocrite desires. These things go together. Why should you want to pursue the virtues of a heart for Christ? Why? Because He's worth it. 
and because He's worthy. Why should we want to keep fighting in the struggle so He can be glorified in our weakness? Because we know the Scripture does say that in our weakness, He is made strong. That's why I keep, in my own life, I keep thinking about the victory of the church and I keep seeing in my head that day that I took a cutting torch. This is July in Oklahoma. There's dead Bermuda grass about this tall out where the field equipment's parked. And Dad says, go take off the wheel spindle off of that old, uh, I think what it was was uh, an old uh, uh, pop-up ba- uh, pop-up. Help me, Dan. What am I not? No, you don't know. (laughs) Pop up loader for small bales, okay? Pop up loader. We had an old pop up loader. Really? What do y'all call it? It's pop up loader, okay? Well, so I just do what dad says and, uh, I cart off the torch down through there and I'm, I'm proceeding to cut off this wheel spindle so we can weld it on something else we built. And one little, one little piece of slag went past me. I didn't know until I began to smell something. Well, I saw it. And I just began to move fast. And then what happened was that those sparks just went even more. And, and the more I stomped, the worse it got. And then the wind, because it's in Oklahoma and everything blows out of the south. And it just spread. It just went and burned every tire and every hydraulic hose off everything we had. So I'm real leery about fire. But I always think about that when I think about the victory of the church. Because the more... We get stomped on and the more we get tried and the more we get tried to be put out, the more it spreads. Now, on one hand, they say, oh, look, we got them on the run. But then I'm thinking, do you see everything's being consumed here? We, our God is a consuming fire. We have victory. My life, my body, my stuff. Is his life, his body, and his stuff. And if he wants to use it as a fire, a fuel for the fire, then so be it. I don't lose. So therefore, the pursuit and the struggle that I give, I give because I want to offer my king all I can give. And that's not going to come without a fight. And it's not going to come without some pain. One thing I want you to remember as we go through this today, and I'm going to have to move fast, is the word humility. God resists the, but He gives grace to the, amen. And pride goeth before the, that's right. So let's look here then. Six pursuits of the Christian life. 1 Timothy 6.11 again, but you, O man of God. Now, let's just stop right there. (laughs) Really? 
You know, the Bible calls you, if you know Jesus, saints in the beloved. Hagios in the Greek. It comes from that word holy, separation. It's a definitive and progressive work. It's where we get our word sanctification from. And he calls you that declaratively. O man of God to Timothy conveys to us, O child of God, pursue these things. Because no one can say, oh, I don't have to do it. That's just for the ministers. You minister. You have friends you know. Children. Co-workers. We live in a world. He says, man of God, flee these things, the things that he had said before. And there was a lot of things that he had to say before. Useless wranglings of men, blah, blah, blah. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. This isn't an exhaustive list, mind you. No, these aren't exhaustive. Yet they are what the Holy Spirit has highlighted through the Apostle Paul at the particular time that he was writing to encourage Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And, and, and the idea of fulfilling a ministry is It just simply means that it's going to eventually come to an end. Fulfill it. Do you see yourself in a ministry fulfilling it to the end? Because if you don't, and you're a Christian, you have some cognitive dissonance happening. A compartmentalization that you've not yet connected. So let's look at the first one. Righteousness. Pursue righteousness. In Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 10, it reads, For we were once, or you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Okay? Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord does not sound like a passive Christian to me. It sounds like One who is constantly availing themselves upon God and saying, help me, my king, to fulfill your will as I yield to you because as you're working in me, I work for you. See, righteousness. The fundamental emphasis of this verse is that as a believer in Jesus Christ no longer walks in darkness, And has the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit giving them goodness, righteousness, and truth. Which things are rooted in the person of Jesus. You don't have to muster up righteousness. You shouldn't have to. You are given it. You see. It's bestowed. Do you realize that? You know what religious righteousness looks like apart from Jesus? Complete hypocrisy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us. Now notice this, these words. Christ Jesus who, referring to Jesus, became for us wisdom from God. So Jesus is our wisdom, right? Notice what else He is. He's also our righteousness. 
and sanctification and redemption. You get those things? This is what Jesus is for us. The Christian life is about a person. A person is Jesus. And the six things that we should pursue begin with righteousness because it all begins in Jesus. These things which we are given. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I don't know of any man or woman that can stand in service to God, either as a pastor, a mother, a friend, or just a faithful servant to the church that can ever say, look what I've done for Jesus. God forbid. Because all you've done for Jesus is what he's given you to do. While the righteousness we possess originates in Christ and is bestowed upon us, we are admonished to pursue it. Christian, you, you do not have neutral in your gearbox. You just don't. You've got R, and it doesn't mean race. And you got drive, and you got one, two, and three. You're in motion. Sometimes we do go in reverse. But I thank God, not very far. We're meant to be in drive mode. And sometimes we got to go into granny to get up the hill. Gear down. But the Lord is the one providing the propulsion. The fuel. And did you know that fuel? Now I will say this. The fuel that is required. Now that's just it, isn't it? That fuel is bestowed in such a way, in such a fashion, that God wants you to come to Him for it. Come and eat. I've made the meal. It's right here. Come and dine with me. Take your fill of my my spirit. Do you know what sometimes that requires us to do? It requires us to get alone with him. And get silent. Because We keep ourselves so busy sometimes we can disconnect things in our heart and on our souls that we get blind to. I don't think there'll ever come a time in the Christian life when you'll ever stop seeing your sin. In fact, from what I've been reading, especially in the Puritan writings, the more you grow in Christ, the more of your sin you see. And you hate it. You hate it because you don't want to ever be guilty of stealing one Second away from the splendor of the king. You just want your life completely to count in every facet. So, righteousness then is a striving to live a life that reflects, responds, remembers, and rejoices in the saving work of Jesus Christ to the degree that the whole life Becomes a sermon lived rather than preached. 
So when I wrote that out, I thought, Ooh, you want to talk about, there's blood on the walls where the preacher makes his sermons. Talk about getting your teeth kicked in. Because the first thing I thought was, I don't do that very good sometimes. But then I remember. That's the war. And that's the mercy. At no point do I ever earn the right to shine. So that's why this is the the sine qua non of living faith. This is the essential stuff that it's made of. You must have righteousness or no faith. And that faith or that righteousness is bestowed. Philippians chapter 1, for example, verse 9. Through 11, it says, and, and, and Paul, I love how he, he's praying, right? And this I pray, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And notice verse 11, being filled, controlled. Okay, you need to think about that word, controlled. With the fruits of, what does it say? Righteousness. Why? To the glory and praise of God. So on one hand, this righteousness is bestowed upon you. Thank God it is, because I've got none to offer. But on the other hand, I'm called to pursue it. That's the relationship of the person that you have your righteousness in. Brothers and sisters, it has to be more than one hour gathering on a Sunday morning. Well, there's more. There's godliness. How to act before God. Okay, that's a simple definition. Godliness, how to act before God. In a word, godliness is, is piety. You remember the old word piety? Usually it's used pejoratively when uh, people are trying to cut down folks. You pious person, you invite me to church, you pious person. But it is also the devout practice for and appropriate beliefs about God, piety. Eusebia in the Greek meaning to show reverence for. The root, sebo, simply means that, to show reverence. We are to show reverence as those who have been bestowed with this righteousness. We're, we've been bestowed reverence. We should show it. That we're told to. Timothy, you need this to fulfill your ministry. Christians, you all need this. We all need this to fulfill our ministry. This isn't a passive thing, is it? No, I'm, I'm to show reverence for the one who bought me manifesting in godliness. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 Therefore I exhort first of all 
that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And then lastly, in 1 Timothy 4, 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Now, again, if you will, let's just say it, uh, to lead a, pi- a quiet, peaceable life in all reverence, that's what it's saying, showing reverence. But reverence is profitable. So we're, when we live and how we live is, is in every aspect. Now, I'm going to say this, in everything we do, passively and actively, we are in some way showing reverence for God. Now, if you can't say amen, as Vody Bauckham says, you ought to say, thank you, I know who listens now, all right? <clears throat> and immediately your mind went to probably your most recent failure. Don't stop there. Go to the cross. Bring it. Bring it to the cross. Is it better to know your sin or to go on as if you didn't? I thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Though, from John, this is from Jonathan Edwards, so this is really fat, chunky stuff. Though true grace has various degrees, and there are some that are but babes in Christ, in whom the exercise of the inclination and will towards divine and heavenly things is comparatively weak. Yet everyone that has the power of godliness in his heart has his inclinations and heart exercised towards God and divine things with such strength and vigor that these holy exercises do prevail in him above all carnal and natural affections and are effectual to overcome them. For every true disciple of Christ loves him above father or mother, wife and children, brethren and sisters, houses and lands, yes, than his own life. Jonathan Edwards is simply saying, though you even be babes, that that faith, that righteousness, that piety, that Jesus, you will prevail because you have his life in. You might get kicked around, but you can't be held down. You ever been playing in a swim pool and someone chunks in a basketball? And, and when you're you know, on the smaller side, you try to hold it under the water as deep as you can. And it's really hard to do. In fact, it's a fight and you lose because it's coming up. That's the church. It will never be prevailed upon. Oh yeah, it gets pushed down and pushed around. But it's going to pop up bigger than bigger than Texas. <laughs> well, what about faith then? To demonstrate belief by living out what is believed. Do you like that? Demonstrate belief by living out what is believed. Now I'm going to get a little uh Uh, philosophical on you. Try to pay attention. Faith, then, as it occurs in the text, is the essence of belief. Simple. Essence is the basic nature of a thing. 
Therefore, my belief in Christ only exists because of my faith in Christ. Because he's the essence of my faith. This faith that I possess is not contrived. I don't work it up. But rather it is a gift first bestowed again upon me. Again in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That faith you did not work up. It says, and that faith is not of yourselves. You, you, you didn't make it. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast and say, look how I commended myself to God. Ultimately, the admonition then to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The word believe is pastuo in the Greek. It means to trust, to rely on, to believe. This is faith first is the antecedent of belief. Faith comes before it, it is bestowed. And then you, you believe because the faith is there. The fuel. The propulsion. You, you, you can't make a, an engine without any gas run. You can work on it all you want to. And you can talk about how great it is. But if it has no fuel, it's a boat anchor. Such as many Fords seem to be sometimes. <clears throat> I can say that as a proud Ford owner. So, To demonstrate faith, then, is to live your life in such a way that what is testified of faith in Christ is seen in what is done. This is where it becomes belief in Christ. I have faith and I believed. I, I, I kind of call belief more of the action side of things. James 2, 14 through 22. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. It's not impressive. One says, oh, I believe in God. Well, you're in good company, I guess. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Did you, do you see that faith was working together with his works? It, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that happened because Abraham was bestowed with something. Faith. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In other words, a faith that works. You understand that? Many times uh, I have people that I see and hear. Uh, they, they try to testify of, of faith in Christ, that they believe Jesus 
and that he's done radical things in their life. Uh, and yet, I had to pull that out of them for them to even say that. And there's no proof in their life. There's no fruit in their life. There's no desire or hunger for the things of God in their life. In fact, I don't, I'm not sure if maybe they just have learned the, lang- the language, you know. If you hang out with cattlemen, you speak cattlemen. I think that's what happens a lot. Because I, I can tell you that a Christian should be identified by their life and what they say, what they read, and what they do. And it should scream Jesus. I could no more set on my profession of faith in Jesus than I could deny him in my life. He, I cannot deny him. I, I would tell anyone that would care to listen, and even those that don't care, as some can attest to, how, how can you keep fire inside? Well, how about love then? Almost done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8a, whenever you see an A, it means we're only doing the first part of that verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, Paul writes, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now notice this part. Especially husbands in the room. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believe all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You say, well, why did you, why did you say husbands? Because I am a husband of 30 years, July the 14th, <laughs> it's... Fifth, it's right in there around the 14th, <laughs> July. They're really close. So, 16th, yes, because I do the birthday in the middle. <laughs> What's said in the, in the sanctuary stays in the sanctuary. Um, but do you know how many times I feel like in, in the first years of my marriage as a young husband, I didn't suffer long, I wasn't kind. And I did become puffed up, and I did behave rudely, and I did seek my own, and I was provoked. Now, obviously, the wives can do this too. But I'm not even touching that one. So I can touch this side of things and say that I am glad that the loving concern for Jesus Christ and His loving concern for us keeps us together. Listen, Christian. Be careful you become sublime to your own righteousness or 
from your own perceived righteousness that you fail to see that you are rude. You're promoting yourself. You're easily provoked. I'm convinced all the time as I think about my own marriage that it is a reflection of where I am with the Lord Jesus. For if I am sensitive to her needs, I'm sensitive to His. I can see a correlation. She doesn't or shouldn't have to yell at me to talk to me. She shouldn't have to have to uh, try to get my attention. She shouldn't have to work for my affections. You see, if this is all happening in the marriage relationship, that's exactly what's happening in your walk with the Lord. Patience then. It just gets better and better. Okay? That's why I said there was blood all over the office on this one this week. Good thing you were out, JT. You'd had to come over and see what all the commotion was about. Patience is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficulty. How many of you would agree that it's difficult to live life? It is. A better understanding of the word patience then would be the word steadfast. And I like steadfastness. The power to withstand hardship or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary. You're steadfast. The inner fortitude. In Luke 21, 19, it says, By your patience, possess your souls. That's not passive, is it? By your steadfastness. Romans 2, 7, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. By by steadfast continuance in doing good. That's not passive. (laughs) And Romans 5 And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or steadfastness. That that internal fortitude that you need that brings character. And character, hope. And then lastly, in 2 Thessalonians 1, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience or steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions And tribulations that you endure. The ability or the power to withstand hardship or stress. The inward fortitude necessary. That's steadfastness. Praise the Lord, it's the last one. But it's rough. Gentleness. (laughs) Man. Not being harsh with people. I really envy some of you who are so sweet that if you sweat, they could literally make candy from following you around. But, but a lot of us don't have that. Well, let's think of in the word gentleness, let's think of the word meekness. Propopathia in the Greek And in general, it means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness. And we don't use the word meek much anymore. I always know it to mean controlled strength, you know. But this is displaying the right... Now, this is hard. Now, you follow this. Here's what the definition of this Greek uh, word is. 
displaying the right blend, the blend of force and reserve, avoiding unnecessary harshness, yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. How do we do that constantly? How do you go there, out there, and do that? And I was laughing when I, I was like, <laughs> when I was typing this out, with the right blend of force and reserve, avoiding unnecessary harshness. I gotta go put my head in the oven. Okay, when this is over, okay. Yet without compromising or being too slow. And I left the office like, just because, and then it says this, and I think I really I'm grateful for the grace of the commentator to remind us of what G. This is not something humanly accomplished. Whoa. Okay, it is a cultivated fruit of the spirit. So we we end up where we started. Aren't you glad, young Timothy? Paul says. You need Jesus to live for Jesus as you pastor folks to lead them to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way you're going to survive it. Because perilous times are about to hit you like a ton of bricks, son. Remember what the Lord commanded. Remember what He said was going to happen. It's about to hit you. It's going to be hard. And even in our day, we need this. I need this. So how, how do I cultivate that fruit of the Spirit? I pursue that relationship with Jesus in relentlessly. And when I sin, I take it to the cross and I repent relentlessly. And then I get up and I go run again for the Lord Jesus relentlessly. And then I proclaim as much as I can relentlessly. And I study and I read and I pray relentlessly. And then I go back home and I start it all over again relentlessly. And then when I fail, I go back again to the cross again. Because there will never be a time when I don't need the grace and forgiveness and loving concern of the Master to say, Go again, son, get up. My grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness because I will be with you relentlessly. And I then... We'll see to it that you will have that just right blend of force and reserve. And I will make sure that you will avoid that unnecessary harshness yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. And by the way, son, you won't always make it right. But when you don't, just come back. We'll lick the wounds. I'll dress you and you'll go out and you'll, you'll go again. Because it's me that's the captain. Of your salvation. He says. I'm going to ask JT to come. And I'm going to ask you dear Christian. How are you doing. In your pursuit. For righteousness. And goodness. And gentleness. And faithfulness. How are you doing with all the other ones. Like kindness. And humility. How's your perseverance in the prayer closet? 
Christian, how are you? How's your soul today? The altar's open if you need to come and pray. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can do none of these things. I don't want you to be a religious person. That helps nobody. I want you to know the King. That Jesus died to save you from your sins. Turn to Him today. Repent. Be born again. Because your religion won't help you. Not on that day. Just a few moments. See what the Lord will do with you.